0: i mean some people describe that as you know you got a you got a model for others right and christ was the perfect model but i think it goes beyond that 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 education and learning is communal and well the greatest communal ideal that can possibly be strived for is the incarnation in the trinity and so i don't know it's always refreshing that this approach to teach in an incarnational way just happens to line up really 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 well with the liberal arts tradition in classical education
1: Welcome to Le Bon v, the JPG podcast for the JPG community as we encourage one another and help each other grow in the good life here at John Paul the Great Academy. My name is Deacon Adam Conk, and here is Mr. Kyle Alborado. How are you doing today, Deacon? I'm great. I'm, I'm just kind of sad this is our last episode in this three-part series on classical Catholic and classically Catholic because I have found it so helpful for me to process my own experience of this community, and and I'm just loving your insights. So kind of sad to see it go, but I'm excited about this last episode.
0: Likewise, likewise. Um, Well, and it shows our our Catholic identity, right? There's a fullness that's well beyond what we could possibly talk about. But um, by talking about it, by engaging with it, I I feel the same way. I'm going to be taking home a lot of our conversation for pondering, for leisurely contemplation, also known as prayer, Um, (laughs) because there's just something... So profound about being being Catholic, about believing in a God who was incarnated, that just I don't know. It, it's like a a daily call to um be happier than imagination can conceive.
1: Yes, because if if we're not if we're not going to acknowledge the incarnation every day of our life, then we give ourselves over to the whims of this world to determine if we're happy or not, or if we're at peace or not. But The incarnation is the one constant of it all, right? God is man today and tomorrow. Jesus Christ yesterday, today, and forever, as Paul says. So, or is that Hebrews? So maybe Paul, maybe someone else. They keep fighting about that.
0: Well, here's my theory. Have I ever told you my theory about Hebrews? Go for it. All right. So here's my theory about why we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, Terrible citations in that book. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, someone said something somewhere. Right.
1: <laughs> they didn't. No one wanted to claim responsibility for that. So they just left it a mystery. Well, Paul was willing to claim responsibility for his letter. So maybe there's something to do to that. But uh, yeah, so we we come to our three, third episode of a series, Classic Catholic, and then today is Classical Catholic. Now, this is the phrase we choose for our school. It's a classical Catholic school or a Catholic classical school. Um, I mean, obviously, Catholic is most important, right? That's the word right. that takes precedence. But we choose to be classically Catholic for a reason. And uh, Mr. Alvarado, you've been at the school for how many years now? A good decade. A good decade. A good decade. Right. Awesome. So over that good decade, you ponder this idea literally every year, every month, every week of how you go about your work of teaching these students in a classical Catholic tradition. And so... Tell me why those two fr- those two words going together is important at John Paul the Great Academy and what we strive to offer our students.
0: It's all about the incarnation. Um, God chose to do more than just tell us the path to happiness, right? He became one of us um, to be uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And so... One of the things that always draws me back to to grow my craft as a teacher is that I want to teach in an incarnational way. I want um, my existence as a student, like Christ, his existence as a man, made salvation possible. Well, as a teacher, I want my existence as a student to make learning accessible for my students. Um, I mean, some people describe that as, you know, you got a model for others, right? And Christ was the perfect model. But I think it goes beyond that, that, that education and learning is communal. And, well, the greatest communal ideal that can possibly be strived for is the incarnation and the Trinity. And so, I don't know, it's always refreshing that, this approach to teach in an incarnational way just happens to line up really, really, really well with the liberal arts tradition in classical education. And so, yeah, in short, that wasn't very short, but here it is (laughs) in short. I would say that because of the incarnation, the classical worldview is the most fitting worldview for Catholicism to be made accessible.
1: On God's providence, we have St. Thomas Aquinas given to us as our universal doctor. In other words, and this was reaffirmed by our patron, St. John Paul the Great, who in canon law in 1983, went out of his way to say St. Thomas Aquinas must be taught in seminaries and must be the standard of our philosophy and our theology. Well, St. Thomas Aquinas, I think, is a great model of what we mean by classical Catholic and to your Mm. point what did he do in teaching the faith he literally used Greek philosophy specifically Aristotle but also Plato and and others and not exclusively I mean he used all the best and that's the thing that's the classical view the classical view is not a narrow I'm only going to follow Aristotle but it's I'm going to follow the truth wherever the truth takes me
0: right and very importantly and in um The scholastic approach, which St. Thomas utilizes, you're also going to find the best of the best opponents. Yes. You know, when he sets up a question before he gives, I answer that, um, he gives the best that tradition has to offer in rebuttal against him. And before he says, I answer that, he says, on the contrary, and he quotes an authority. And so even the very method that he uses, kind of like what I'm struggling to describe with an incarnational way of teaching, mm-hmm. uh, by the very method that he's employing, he's showing the virtue of docility. He's showing this classical worldview.
1: And he's our model, right, of Catholic education. Universal doctor, doctor means teacher. So this idea that when we teach, he's the standard. So he's the objective standard. That doesn't mean he's perfect. That doesn't mean he did everything right. There are a couple of examples of, come on, St. Thomas. Now he's kicking himself in heaven. You know, like the the Immaculate (laughs) Conception, for example. It's like, man, how did I get that one wrong? But he is the closest um, that the church has in 2,000 years to what it means to educate. So he didn't open up a classical school. Like when he opened up his, or when they started the university of Paris and he would teach, it didn't say like classical Catholic education on it. Right. It was just Catholic education. Right. Well, just
0: like Coca-Cola didn't need to be Coca-Cola classic until this, um, stupid, or maybe we can use a different word for it, but inferior, inferior. Yes. (laughs) Until something inferior, not well reasoned, Mm -hmm. um, and not fitting came about. Until that happened, there was no need to describe it as classical.
1: Yes. And that is why we do put on the the tag classical Catholic education on our school, on our mission, in our identity, because bad things have happened <laughs> in education.
0: <laughs> bad things have happened. Now, granted,
1: they started
0: in the original sin, but boy, have they sped up ever since. You know, in the original sin... Um, We got to choose between life and knowledge, and we chose knowledge without realizing that that doesn't make any sense. There can be no knowledge without life. And so one of the ways I like to think about the classical tradition is trying to restore and build back together what was rent asunder in that original sin. But, man, it seems like in the past 100 to 200 years, educational paradigms have really sped up in the being stupid. I mean, being not Inferior. Inferior. (laughs) giving rise to the need to describe um, an ordered approach to education as classical.
1: Now, if that rubs you the wrong way to hear us describe those educational approaches as inferior, I understand. I invite you to go listen to our past couple of episodes because this is not a judgment on the great people who do great work every day to educate children and give their heart and soul to it. Some of them saints, some of them holier than, than any of us listening to this podcast. However, we do acknowledge the existence of, of more or less approaching an objective reality. And that's the classical view. So again, go back to a couple episodes ago where we talked about this. But the classical view of the world is that there is objective truth, there is a form that is perfect of things, and that we can be more or less close to it. And when it comes to education, that means there is a form of education that is perfect, an ideal that is more or less attainable, that we could be more or less in that direction, or even in opposite direction. We could be running away from it entirely. And there are educational theories and philosophies and pedagogy and everything else that is more or less approaching that ideal, and some of them running in the complete opposite direction.
0: Right. Just Just like with regard to Revelation, will you find elements of Revelation in Christian churches outside of the Catholic Church? Yes, yes, you will find elements of revelation, but you're only going to find the fullness of it within that that unified one church that Jesus promised us the night before his passion. Um, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. And yeah, it can can sound offensive, and certainly I'm glad you said that. We don't mean to offend anyone who's teaching in, in these kind of paradigms. I do believe... God is calling people to strive for education, even in broken educational systems. But where Catholic worldview, classical worldview, I think they come to a head in this principle in the church applied to education, this principle of Lex orandi, Lex Credendi. The law of worship is the law of belief. One of the standards we have in, in the Catholic church is, um, and arguably some of the Eastern churches do a little better, but, but the principle still holds that the way we worship, the way we pray ought to reflect what we believe. For example, in the classical church, um, you're going to find great reverence for the Eucharist because they believed that it was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. But in addition to that belief, they put practices in place in their worship and in their prayer that reinforced the sacredness of that belief. And so the law of worship is the law of belief. What does that have to do with education? Well, what we believe about the nature of the child should be reflected in how we teach them. And so that there's even if you don't have the name classical, um, you might be doing things that approach the, the classical worldview with regard to education, if there is this, this unspoken anthropology that a student receives when they encounter the dignity of their human nature, by how they are treated in how they are learning and what they are learning. Well, that that's approaching, I think this, this Catholic and classical ideal of Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi.
1: Yeah. And again, I love that analogy because in the church, We want our liturgy to, as much as possible in earthly ways, resemble what its heavenly reality is. The Mass is something that happens, and liturgy is something that happens in heaven. That's the paradigm. And we participate on earth. So our signs, our symbols, our devotions, our gestures should all fittingly approach that which is done in heaven. And good liturgy is heavenly. It's not earthly. Like, we don't turn liturgy into a great variety and buffet of all human art and expression. <laughs> like right. That, that's, well, not, that's not the point of liturgy. <laughs>
0: except it's kind of fitting, very sad, but with the abandonment of the classical worldview, you see a rise in that exact approach to liturgy where you try, many are trying very hard to recreate liturgy in man's image.
1: Yes. Well, and by analogy, you see something very similar in education, because education, in a sense, also heavenly in that God has become man. This is the paradigm of education. This is the Catholic, when you're classically Catholic, and this this is the church documents, this is John Paul II, this is, we see the incarnation as the paradigm of education, where Heavenly worship is the paradigm of earthly liturgy. We're participating in it. God becoming man to form a people, this is education. To form, to cultivate, to save us. That is the paradigm of education. And I think the classical worldview is very willing to acknowledge this and live it out in a way that modern view is not. Um, And so you see, just like in the liturgy, so many, this, this pressure to have every approach under the sun, every piece of art, every way to worship God under the sun present in mass, that that is a fullness of liturgy? No. The fullness of liturgy is when the heavenly liturgy is fittingly mimicked on earth and participated in on earth, I should say, because it's not just imitation, it's participation. In the same way, what is great education? What's the full classroom? When every pedagogy, every source, every idea is present in my classroom? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's when the truth of an idea is fully present and grasped by the students. It becomes part of who they are. That's a classical Catholic view.
0: I really, really like that. The Incarnation as, as the ideal of education. As, as Catholic, as we talked about in the previous episode, the Incarnation really does radically change everything. And if we are a Catholic school, we have to ask ourselves has the Incarnation changed everything we do?
1: Yes, and it's it's the classical Catholic part that sees that as important. See, every Catholic will say that's important. But will we actually give it the weight it deserves? That requires the classical view. Yeah,
0: will we engage with some Lex orandi, Lex Credendi? Will we incarnate or put into practice what we believe about... The nature of reality, the nature of the child, and the nature of the teacher, and the nature of the, all those relationships.
1: It requires the docility you were talking about that only comes with a classical view. I'm only going to be docile to an objective reality if I believe the objective reality <laughs> exists, <laughs> and that's the classical view. It's yeah. so Le Bon V, Deacon Adam Conk, Mr. Kyle Alborado, and uh, we're talking about being classically Catholic today. Um, Mr. Alborado, I want to, before we get to our great quote of the day, I, I want to... Give a little depth to this idea of um, why classically Catholic or classical Catholic education, and not traditional Catholic education, and not to say we're not traditional. Right. But what is the difference between being classical and traditional, or are, are they synonymous, or is there a difference to them?
0: Ooh, taking us down the rabbit hole, <laughs> um, It's a challenge for me to talk about because I'll be honest. I don't always know what people mean by traditional. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll I'll give a, I'll give an example and I'll try to keep things ambiguous enough to not offend anyone. But, um, you know, I remember being taken aback when, when someone mentioned to me uh, that they just, they just love traditional hymns. They just love traditional hymns. It's like a contradiction in terms. But continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like a contradiction in terms. Um, and yeah, you know, they start saying traditional hymns. You know, like like um, let's dance in the forest, let's play in the fields, let us sing the glory of God. Nice. Yeah, not even a hundred years old. Yeah, it's traditional, <laughs> um, and. I don't know. I just it was very off-putting, you know. But to them, the word traditional applied to it because it had been put into practice for a while. Mm-hmm. It and was so, handed
1: down. So I, just remind people what traditional means, literally from the the term to hand over, right? Trader, trotty, like to hand on tradition.
0: Right, right, and 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 there there's a lot to say, and I think, um, I mean, interesting enough. Uh, traditional Catholics tend to disagree a lot about the role of Vatican II in the life of the Church today. That's going to take us down yet another <laughs> rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, even even Vatican II can be said to be part of the tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be traditional. Um, but if we're going to talk about something as classical, it's not just that it's handed on; it's that it takes part. In this worldview that we were describing earlier, that, mm-hmm. that, that worldview that we can, I think, without equivocating, equate to the fullness of time, that worldview that made the fullness of time ripe uh, for the incarnation.
1: Yeah, I love that. So and you know, this idea of classical Catholicism is a Catholicism that seeks the highest form, you might say, the objective fullness of what it means to be Catholic. And classical Catholic education— seeks the highest form of education, of Catholic education, which, as we identified earlier, is the Incarnation. I mean, we're seeking Christ. We're seeking to model our lives after Christ. And contained with, within that is tradition. I mean, we were see- you can't be Catholic and not be traditional in the sense that Catholic faith is always handed on. Right, it's right. It's always received.
0: And we certainly don't mean to undermine the term traditional, but rather to distinguish it. But, right. But I'm interested to see where you're going with that. Yeah, to be Catholic... Um, we have to be traditional in that
1: sense. Well, because we receive a faith that we handle, that's been handed down to us, but we can't let traditionalism become tribalism. And and you see this tension at the incarnation of, in the fullness of time of the tribal culture of the Jews and the universal culture, empirical culture of the Romans, right? And that's where Christ came in. And he created a new a new man, right? But this idea that, Tradition is not simply me doing what my people do when it comes to Catholic tradition. That's not what Catholic tradition is. We do have tradition with a little t in the church, and it's important. Right, right. It's important. So, like, I worship the way my father worshipped, my grandfather worshipped. And you have many different traditions. We have different rites. We have different, you know, this is all good and part of what it means to be Catholic, surely. But when we're talking about the difference between classical and traditional... Catholicism as a faith that we receive is a traditional faith, meaning it's hand it's handed down to us. It goes through history. We receive it, but we also need to live it out in a particular way today and hand it on to the next people.
0: Yeah, and, and we could go further. Education is impoverished to the point that it doesn't hand on a tradition.
1: Absolutely. Yes, because tradition incarnates the culture. You know, it's, it's, it's culture as lived out here today. At John Paul the Great Academy. So, for example, we have a 14-year, 15-year tradition as a school. We have a history. We have the way we do things. We have how things went, and we receive that whenever this year, as we are students, or parents, or teachers, we've received that tradition, and we're going to hand it on to the next, the next class, the next uh, year. That's important. And um, but classical is more timeless. Classical is more there's a form to things whether we're at JPG or not. We could be at a different school at a different place. We could be in a different country and still be classical. But to be a part of the JPG tradition is very important, but it's distinct from this, this classical worldview, if that make, makes sense. Yeah,
0: I think so. And I, I want to offer, and maybe this is wrong, and if it is, we're <laughs> going to get some clarity as as we pursue it. But it, it seems like... Um, Using terms that we developed previously, that being traditional uh, has its highest expression when we enter into the sensus fidelium. When yes, in enter- faith. Yes, yes, hundred um, percent. Which is that 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 supernatural acceptance or our or appreciation we have for for the faith and morals that have been universally practiced by the church by and large, the church, not just those who are in it today are in our parish, but but the church in this widest sense of the mystical body of Christ. Um, and so, in a way, that seems to be the highest expression of tradition. Yes, the um,
1: deposit of faith, if you will, that is handed on to us year by year, but we also develop, well, generation by generation, but we also develop further, but yet it remains the same. Right. And we all share it universally. But classical, I would
0: pose as the virtue of religion, or, or s- submit that, is more akin to something like the virtue of religion in this. And classically speaking, the virtue of religion is justice applied to God. Yes. Just like docility, the virtue of docility is justice applied to an authorita- authoritative teacher, Well, the virtue of religion um, is justice applied to God. Religare, ligare, that which binds, read to do again and again and again. So, in the very word religion, which all men have this religious sense, but but not all participate in religion to the same extent. Not all religious practices are virtuous. Engage mm-hmm. in that virtue of religion, because here's one of the things: to, to give to God what is God's. To do that, you kind of have to do that on God's terms. Yes. You know, going back to this this story in Exodus, that um, it's not so much that they were trying to worship another god whenever the Israelites had that golden calf, but rather that they were returning to the old ways of worship that the Egyptians did. Because the kind of worship that God wants is the worship that he asks for. It's not because he's bossy and wants everything to be done his way, but rather his way is the fullness of anything that's possible for us because of who he is, you know? Classically, we know these categories of God, that that God is omnipotent, that God is um, omniscient. He's, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, the source of being. But the incarnation transforms those classical categories to where we can say that that God is love. That God is omnibenevolent, all good, all love.
1: And that love, the omnipotence finds weakness in the incarnation. Yeah. The omnipresence finds one city (laughs) to live in, (laughs) right? Like the incarnation takes the infinitude of God and dwells bodily, which is... Amazing, but,
0: and then the Holy Spirit comes, and now, yes, once again dwelling in all places. Well, hopefully that's the <laughs> universal call of the Catholic Church.
1: That's right. Well, we got to get to our great quote of the day. We do, we
0: do. Um, all right, so this one is a quote from Crossing the Threshold of Hope. Uh, this this book of where um, John Paul II, uh, Saint John Paul II, was interviewed and. This was something he said in response to why he was passionate and his call to the faithful to be not afraid. To accept the gospel's demands means to affirm all of our humanity, to see it in the beauty desired by God, while at the same time recognizing in light of the power of God himself Our weaknesses. What is impossible for man is possible for God.
1: I think this is a great quote to kind of end on of why we are a classical Catholic school and what we mean by that. Because classical Catholic speaks to a Catholicism that is docile, that seeks to be docile, To the greatness God calls us to, not because of our own strength and achievement and talent, but simply by the grace of the amazing exchange of the incarnation itself, and that our weakness is swallowed up in his divinity like the drop of water is placed into the wine at mass. And this is what we mean by classical Catholicism, that we educate in such a way to promote this docility, we educate in such a way that opens us all up to this mystery of the incarnation that is happening to us every day at school and every day of our life, that we would be educated in such a way that that becomes the primary focus and we rely in hope on his love for us to make us the saints he's called us to be.
0: Yeah. And the classical approach, I don't want to give the impression that we're saying that it's perfect. Because it's not. Um, the task to truly educate classically and everything that we mean by that for man, yes, is impossible. We can't do it. It's imperfect. However, yeah, through God, through God, this, this classical worldview, um, both this classical worldview and the chosen people, Israel, come and become something new. And classical homes, Catholic homes, Catholic classical homes, we should be striving to always make things new. And even though we didn't talk much in these episodes about, you know, cultivating a classical home, I think I think there there is that encouragement there. You know, I, I would I would say that, you know, have homes that are Catholic and classical, meaning don't be afraid to completely live out your baptism every every day. Um, having a well-ordered home, and a home that is ordered to eternity, yes, it's impossible for us, but, but not for God. So another quote from our patron, let's be not afraid to be Catholic and classical.
1: Don't be afraid. And there is a risk going to JPG. We've all experienced it, teaching yeah. at JPG, going to JPG. It's the risk of will my kids miss out on what every other kid is getting. Well, I'm here to tell you the answer is yes. They'll miss out on all the confusion. They'll miss out of all the ideologies that are running in the opposite direction of Christ. And all the good things that are being taught in every other school are being taught in such a way at JPG that we intentionally pursue their fullness with as little encumbrance as possible. We're not going to be perfect, but our intent is to strive for that docility to the fullness of every truth we encounter on campus.
0: Indeed, indeed. It's like having a device and a an adapter to plug it in and, and juice it up and get it running, give it give it power and electricity. Yeah, you could take the risk of just choosing any adapter to connect to that device. However, the one who created that device and also wants it to be charged fully, um, to have that electricity running through it in an ordered way, gave specifications for how to plug it in, right? you mm-hmm. use the wrong adapter, um, it might be fine, but you'll probably burn out your circuit board. And when we think about doing that to our children, whew, let's use the adapter. Let's plug them in the way that the designer suggested.
1: Awesome. Well, that's LeBon V. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back again next time with an exciting faculty member of John Paul The Great Academy. Until then, I'm Deacon Adam Conk. This is Kyle Alvarado vive la bon vie folks let's live the good life